0: For those of you who are familiar with the cost of dental school, it's it's not uncommon for new dentists to graduate with almost half a million dollars in debt. I didn't have quite that much, but I, I did certainly have a significant amount. And the cost of buying a dental office is also very high, but the income potential is is excellent. The lifestyle, which is really what pulled me towards it, is excellent as well. I only work four days a week currently. And... The real thing, too, that I love about it is the business ownership aspect as well and the control that you have with that regard.
1: You're listening to The Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaire's Unveiled Podcast. This is episode number 188. Clark, how's it going? What's going on in your world? Good. Doing pretty good. We're coming up on 200 where we should have a fun guest coming up, right? Yeah. You know, we put that that plug out there to get somebody on who's who's worth $2 million and we've got him. Uh, somebody- 200 million. 200 million. That's correct. Yeah. They they rode in and- yeah. uh, we're gonna have that episode coming up. Hopefully, it'll be super exciting and hear hear from somebody who's built wealth to the two hundred million dollar mark. So, a lot of a lot of great things happening on the podcast. Talking a little bit before the show, just you know, as things start to to take shape here, what what hopes to be somewhat of the end of the the pandemic here. I think a lot of people are are getting vaccinated and, and masks are, are are coming off in some places, and maybe answer this question, Clark. You know, we came across a few polls and stuff that had changed with some data that habits or, you know, how has the pandemic changed your thought about wealth building and money? And has it changed anything for you specifically?
2: Yeah, I think it's, you know, I'll answer that. Let me just first answer the like the article we read. There was a New York Times article about what millennials and others think about money after going through the pandemic. And a couple of things they mention is number one, it is people shift towards what matters most in life. I feel like when I read that article, that's really what was talked about was, Hey, what, you know, what's more important and people talked about moving closer to their parents or spending more times with their kids or a certain spouse quitting a job or changing jobs. So that's one job or uh, that's one thing that people mentioned. I think for me, it's just, I think there's part of that, right? Like, Hey, what's more important and what do you really want to do? You know, do you love what you do? Do you love your job? Do you love the path you're on? And, Do you need to make adjustments? So I think that's what it's been more for me. I think others probably have looked at asset allocation and where they're invested and where their money is, and they wanted to change that. I haven't had that as much, but I think that's certainly a a certain element. And then I think a lot of people have focused more on passive income, right? Like, hey, what can Mm -hmm. I do? I don't want to always be beholden to a job. I need to start getting some passive income. So as I read that article and thought about the issue, those are kind of the three things that stood out to me. What about you?
1: You know, there's a couple of things. One is that the, the, the marker for those to be considered wealthy dropped by $700,000. So it used to be in the same type of respondent surveys, 2.6 million and went down to 1.9 million. So quite a significant drop. Also, the number of people that identified as themselves as savers went from 64% to 80%. So, definitely people refocusing. <laughs> I wonder why. What does that mean? Well, I mean, probably just maybe it was something that they hadn't considered or, you know, with the extra time on their hands, maybe people were, you know, looking at their finances more closely instead of traveling for work or, you know, doing all sorts of different things that that normally they would do. You know, it forced a lot of habit change, right? Well, the, the pandemic did, whether it be how we work or where we work or when we work or the routines people are in, you know, there's definitely a lot of companies, you know, Instacart's one, right, that really took off. Uh, There's also all sorts of industries that really took off and some that really struggled. And so, that habit change, I think people said, hey, look, well, and then maybe some lost jobs. And so, they, you know, consider themselves, hey, nothing's guaranteed. Maybe I need to start saving more. So, going 64 to 80% as people that were savers, You know, and then also the, the crazy thing about the, you know, the financial happiness number. So we always talk about that, what, $75,000 mark is where a lot of the, the the data and the studies have showed for those that need to be happy in terms of like, you don't get any happier making more than that. Well, they, the amount of money, you know, net worth or dollars or however you want to put it fell from 1.7 million to 1.1 million. So once again, another, you know, 600, fifty thousand dollar decrease for what people thought they need to be happy. Hmm. uh, which is interesting, you know, and I think maybe that's partly habit change or people deciding that, you know, maybe they don't need to eat out as much or I don't know. But definitely some interesting takeaways from that. And I think some of these habits for a lot of people will be here to stay, you know, going forward. So be interesting to see how that how that takes shape over the next, you know, five or ten years and especially for our generation. Mm -hmm. Right? What 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 did the pandemic play into their decision making going forward into their you know 30s and 40s? So last week we had Sherry, self employed, net worth of just over a million dollars. She has seven rental properties and a small business. She and her husband have never made over seventy five thousand dollars, and she also works with a couple of music nonprofits and making a great impact on her compute on her community. This week we have Robert. He's a dentist, very young dentist, got a net worth of one point two million, probably one of our youngest millionaires on the show. So it's going to be super exciting to to have him on and get into his story and, and the detail about his journey. If you'd like to be on the show, send us an email. Also get on the website. You can submit a question, ask a millionaire, reach out to us at millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. Also, real estate's super hot still. We're always looking for great deals. Also great people to to invest with us as as we build out our strategy and you know, if you're interested, reach out, we'll get on a call, kind of walk through our process. Without any further delay, let's get into the episode with Robert.
0: Robert, do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and what you're up to now? Sure. I am 27 years old, almost 28. I am a dentist for about two years, graduated in 2018. I've been practicing for two years. As I said, I bought an office out of school, so I do own a business through that. My current net worth is about $1.2 million.
1: Wow, that's pretty phenomenal, and I know, I know you've got quite the quite the story. I want to get into it, especially how you've been able to to build this
0: up so quickly. But let's take a breakdown. What is the 1.2 divided up between? So that's broken down roughly into about 850 k in taxable brokerage accounts, 100 k in an IRA, so tax advantaged. 200 k is equity in my business, my dental corporation and seventy five k is equity that I've built across three rental properties, one is a duplex, one is a triplex, and one is an apartment. Wow, that's awesome, and you have no primary residence are you renting then? I am currently renting part of the decision i'm I'm engaged part of the decision for me and my fiance when I graduated school was get the get the business underway, build the cash cow that will be the engine for us and will allow us to basically succeed wherever we want and so now that for the past 2 years our our business has been very successful. We are looking to enter the homeowners market, but currently I'm not a homeowner.
1: Yeah, I want to talk to you a little bit about that cuz you know the mindset of of maybe going and building up a business and just renting. Talk a little bit about how you came in and arrived at that decision. Why it made sense. Especially I mean, you know, nowadays you can get a home, even if it's just a modest home, you know, three and a half percent FHA loan only costs you ten, twenty grand out of pocket. Why did you decide against doing something like that?
0: Uh so a lot of it is is based on my career and for the listeners who are familiar with dentistry, they might know well, even just for everyone in general, you probably understand if you live in a city how competitive it is, you dentists on every corner. Um, and so really for me, the the success in dentistry came from having the willingness to go to a place that's underserved and where the people are, but the other dentists don't want to be. Um, and so once I identified a location that fit that bill and found an office that I was willing to acquire there, the rest kind of just followed from there. So my our first main priority was to build a business, build the cash cow and the engine that will allow us to generate income and then buy a house from there. I've had many colleagues, older dentists, people in my profession who have told me stories about buying a house first and trying to make it work with an office, which unfortunately doesn't work out. And then you're tied down to that location because you own a home there. And so I followed the advice of people who have more experience than me. And I built my business first. And now I'm looking to own a home.
1: Yeah, I think that's a phenomenal decision you made. Obviously, it's played out super well not typical for, for probably most people in your profession or, or people in general. A lot of people you know, get out of that four-year grind of dental school or medical school or residency and everything else and end up, hey, first thing I'm going to do is, is buy the cars, the houses and stuff that I've been putting off because I've been in school for so long. And you've kind of sacrificed a little bit longer if you even want to call it a sacrifice. I mean, you've got phenomenal income and cash flow that you've been able to build up, up and buy rentals. So let's, let's break down... Yeah. It the the investments that you have in the market is that mainly in stocks bonds mutual funds what's the, the 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 strategy with your
0: money that's invested in the markets so my my money that's invested in the markets and i'm, I'm happy to talk more about this in depth but my main investment philosophy i'll say it has been based on the income that i'm able to earn has been a, a kind of a risk mitigation strategy and, and a diversification strategy i'm sure a lot of folks are heavily in equities, um, or probably would be at my age. My asset allocation is actually broken down roughly into 50% US treasuries weighted more towards long term. And the other 50% in equity targeted more towards a growth strategy. But most of that is in S&P 500, some emerging markets, some growth equity there as well. And then has the allocation always been that way? Or has it changed? Well, I haven't been actually earning an income for so long. So my sample size is fairly small, but originally I was more towards equity. Um, and something we can talk about more this year is actually how the COVID situation impacted my, my income and impacted my philosophy towards investing. Um, because I, I did change quite a bit early on in 2019 and late 2018. When yeah. I let's, started. yeah, let's go into it. Uh, essentially, when I started to get the indication that things could get bad. In early 2019, or sorry, early 2020, I shifted more towards risk mitigation strategy. But as I'm sure everyone knows, we've all been affected by it. In March, pretty much the entire global economy ground to a halt, is when it really started to hit. And for dentistry, that meant that pretty much dental offices all across the country were forced to close their doors. So my main source of income from March to about May. Was zero, went, went from what I was earning before to zero because my office wasn't open. That is where my rentals, thankfully, my, my tenants were able to still pay their rent. So that helped alternate revenue stream. And then I do have, and this is something I worked on because I wasn't working during coronavirus, I do consulting on the side within dentistry. I consult for other dentists on growing their businesses. So that also helped with the revenue stream as well. But. Oh, nice. When I wasn't earning income because I wasn't working from my main career, my main dental office, my business, it's basically kind of hit me like a truck. I I could never have foreseen that I might go from earning a great income to earning zero from something that was completely out of my control. And so there, there was definitely a bit of panic there. And that's something that I'll definitely keep as an experience for the future. But that did kind of make me realize that there's no need to to hit a home run with my investment strategy, I'm saving a lot. And it's just about saving and and building wealth that way for me.
3: Yeah. Did you always want to be a dentist?
0: Yeah, pretty much, I'd say always. I mean, growing up, I was always interested in science and that kind of uh, healthcare science environment. And pretty much in high school is when I narrowed it down to wanting to be a dentist, or in dentistry. But I, I definitely knew even when I was very young, but I, I loved science. I loved math, anything that piqued my curiosity that way. And, and science would always did it for me.
3: Because I think, Jace, correct me if I'm wrong here. I think you're the first dentist we've had on the show. Is that right, Jace? I think we may have had
1: one or two others. I know we, Okay. yeah, I think maybe we had an oral surgeon or a endodontist or something. And then, he, you know, he went from dentistry for 20 years and then went back to school, to, to, to specialize, but yeah, maybe it could be, I can't remember. It's been a while. I mean, and for sure not very many that we've had yeah. on the show. And Robert, do you
3: have another, do you specialize within dentistry? I don't know. I'm, I'm a general dentist. Okay. So, I mean, career advice. I'm just curious. Are you happy with it? Was it something you'd recommend to people?
0: Yeah, I love it. it. It's funny. A lot of dentists kind of look at the state of dentistry today and there's a lot of bleakness, but it's been great to me. I'd certainly recommend it. It's definitely a big debt and time investment. For those of you who are familiar with the cost of dental school, it's it's not uncommon for new dentists to graduate with almost half a million dollars in debt. Mm. I didn't have quite that much, but I, I did certainly have a significant amount. And the cost of buying a dental office is also very high, but the income potential is is excellent. The lifestyle, which is really what pulled me towards it, is excellent as well. Um, I only work four days a week currently. And the real thing too that I love about it is the business ownership aspect as well and the control that you have with that regard.
3: Yeah, I want to come back to that because I think it's super interesting. But just jumping back to COVID, did you have enough in reserves to weather this?
0: I, I did. And actually, I originally, when it first hit in March, and I realized I was you know, from my income down to zero dollars, I I definitely panicked, and in retrospect, I panicked probably more than I should have because I definitely had enough reserves to weather it. Good for you. It was okay, and the government thankfully introduced a lot of stimulus and relief packages that helped us a lot. Mm-hmm. I uh, back in March, I didn't know that any of that would exist, so I really felt like I'd be on my own, and and that contributed a little bit towards my anxiety, but. Looking back on it now, if I if I had just stayed the course more, I'd even be better off than I am now. But that's a good lesson.
3: And are you guys fully back open now? We are fully back open. That's correct. And how's business? Are you seeing a
0: downtick or about uptick, I guess, maybe because people know, are past yeah. due? In in July, we had our best month ever. Um, and, and I think just like you said, it's just because people are past due. So we had a really busy July. August was quite busy as well. And now in September, late August, past one to two weeks, it looks like we're pretty much where we were before. So we're we're right on track now.
3: Nice. So when a dentist says, best, I've had my best month ever, what does it mean? Is it in terms of number of patients seen, amount billed, amount of, of more procedures besides just basic cleanings?
0: What does that mean? Yeah. So what that means, and I think... For most dentists, probably what it would mean is, is how much you've built that month and how much you've collected. So your, your production, your sales essentially for, for your business. How many sales did you do that month? So in dentistry, we call that production and collections and also number of patients as well. We did have a record month for new patients also in
3: July. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Thank you. So for you, that means to me, if I'm understanding correctly, really the more you work, right? If you have if you have patients, I mean, you could obviously spend more on advertising to get new patients. But the more you work, the more you bring in. Is that
0: accurate? That is accurate. Yeah.
3: So how do you find find that that. balance? And are you pushing that? Are you trying to front load that at the beginning of the year? You mentioned you work four out of five days a week. What's your balance there in in deciding how much to work?
0: Um, That's a great question. And so there's certainly at, at a certain point there's. Diminishing returns. There's only, obviously, so many patients to go around in the office, and there's only so much you can do at once. At the day, I can only be in one place at a time, and so part of the reason I was able to build my business when I took it over from the previous dentist is is efficiency. Um, and so, what that looks like in dentistry is building systems in your office for staff to turn over the room faster and see more patients in a day, building systems to decrease our overhead, building systems to have patients accept treatment more frequently. So essentially you can tell someone that they have to have something done, but if they say no, then it's not being done, right? So how do we have patients accept treatment? And you'll hear a lot of dentists talking about these kinds of things. That's what it looks like for me. Four days a week is... To be honest, just a personal preference for me that I feel like when we go to work and my team at work knows this, we give 110% when we're there. And when we get home, we enjoy our long weekend every week. And so for me, that's been a good balance of the income that I want to make and take home mixed with a good enough time to recharge when I have three days off.
3: So your whole office is closed Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That's right. Wow, and how many staff do you have? We have five staff, five full-time people beside beyond, beyond yourself. Beyond
0: myself, yes.
3: And if somebody calls in sick, you you have a couple of replacements. You're able to manage with three or four.
0: We do have, well, we find ways to manage, but we do have some some folks who basically we have a network of people who can cover.
3: Wow, so so you're pretty young, uh, Robert, or, or has that caused? any issues in terms of hiring people older than you is it
0: has that been kind of an interesting or weird dynamic at all uh it's funny you ask because when i bought the office i thought it would be more of an issue than it is <laughs> so i it felt a little bit weird to me but everyone else <laughs> think yeah, so good. so team gets along really well if anything actually it's it's caused more initially a bit of apprehensiveness from the patients uh-huh. and to be fair I, I don't blame them probably if they sure, sure. Think the previous dentist was in his 50s, 60s, and so all of a sudden a mid 20s guy comes in. They're within their right to question my experience, but I think people quickly found, or I hope people quickly found that they, uh, they're in good hands at our office. Yeah. Did you lose any
3: patients because of that?
0: We lost a handful, but actually it's, it's interesting in dentistry. It's most banks who are financing deals will factor in for about 20 to 30% patient attrition, we lost only about 5%. Oh, nice. Within our first year, we had actually gained pa- net gain in patients because we contributed. Uh, basically I built the online presence of the office. The office before wasn't really a, it was run by an older dentist. So there wasn't much online presence there. There wasn't much marketing being done. And by the end of the first year, we had a net gain in patients because of that.
3: Well, wow, good for you. And yeah, I mean, maybe you don't lose patients just because of age. You could easily lose it just because somebody had a personal connection with the previous dentist, right?
0: Yeah, and that's very common in dentistry. Too. Yeah, a lot yeah. That's uh, just a personal thing. I, I get it. Dentistry is very intimate. There's someone standing over you, and you don't know what they're doing inside your mouth. But so, totally understand if people want to stick to uh, to the dentist that they know.
3: So I was just thinking of a funny story when you were talking. When I moved to New York, I had to find a dentist in the city. And I, I just did some research. And of course, who insurance is covered. And I found this guy. And of course, I, I looked up reviews on him. And this review says, his name's Dr. Kogan. says, Dr. Kogan is either a really good dentist, a really bad dentist, or just okay. I, <laughs> I can't tell. And that's what makes me uncomfortable. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I just thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. So you built out your whole website. Yes, there wasn't so, a website before I, there wasn't. Um, and then also a big thing we did was our, our Google presence. So we got a lot of Google reviews. We went from basically having no online presence to being the number one most reviewed in our area. Oh, nice. And a few other things like that, that we built.
3: Yeah. So as much as you're comfortable sharing Robert, and maybe you've signed an NDA on the purchase, but let's talk about buying a business. Cause I think that's unique and something we haven't heard much on the show when sure. you said okay i'm going to graduate i'm going to buy this business i guess the first question would be where do you go about looking is it you know do you do you partner with a broker do you look online and then from there h- how much did you pay and how much debt did you have for the business sure.
0: so t- typically the way it works in dentistry is there are brokerages that uh, keep in network with a lot of practice owners and so they become aware of deals and post them online and share them with their clients Um, Another big factor of it, to be honest, is just marketing or sorry, just uh, networking, I should say. And so just reaching out. Dentistry is a pretty tight knit community. So you can speak with supply reps, you can speak with accountants, lawyers, they might kind of have the inside scoop on who's looking to sell their office. So in my situation, it was a deal that was off market. It wasn't through a brokerage, it was through a common, not really mutual friend, but basically a colleague. The office, when you buy a dental office, the main thing you're paying for is what's called the goodwill. So it's an intangible asset, which is basically the value of the patients. Um, it's not like you're buying a hard asset that you can flip. It's not like real estate. It's, it's more intangible than that. And so my office was purchased for about 1.2 million and that's, uh, I now have 200 K in equity in that. And the office was billing. So when I talked earlier about production and collections, it was collecting um, about 500 K or sorry, it was, it was cash flowing about 500 K. It was collecting about 1 million cash flowing about 500 K. And we've grown that now to collecting about 1.5 million and cash flowing close to 800, 750,
3: 800 K. Wow. And, and do you think of paying off the business or how is that financed?
0: It's it's interesting, actually, banks really love to loan to dentists. (laughs) And so almost 100% of it was financed. It's uh, not really typical in dentistry to make a big down payment, or it's not really necessary, I should say. So I do pay it off. There obviously is a term on the loan, and I can make additional payments towards that, which I've done a little bit. Um, But the interest rates are fairly low just because it's very favorable for banks to lend to dentists.
3: What is the interest rate? The interest rate's okay, around 3%. 3% percent. So similar to name name. where real estate is now, or a little lower, yeah. right?
0: Yeah. So go ahead, sorry. If you got into it now, it might even be a bit below that. Um, when I got into it is 2018.
3: And do people refinance their their, what do they call it, a dentistry loan?
0: Yeah, it is possible. It is possible to refinance. And it's something that I've explored with my accountant and my lawyer as well.
3: Wow. Well, congrats on your success. I mean, that's amazing. Taking the cash flow from 500 to 800 a year, being young. and, and I mean, amazing. Amazing. Thank you. Do, do most people do that, Robert? Do most dentists just come out of, of school and look to purchase or just do some train under people for a while or a pre-train under a previous dentist rather?
0: i definitely say it's atypical. Um, I do have a few colleagues and, and maybe it's just a bias of myself that I've surrounded myself with those kinds of people, but a few of my colleagues and friends have owned right out of school. Um, but the vast majority of dentists who graduate, either go into associateship, which is when you work under another dentist. So for example, if I were to hire another dentist in my office, I would have an associate. So that's what an associate is. Or it's very common as well to do a GPR, or what's called an AEGD, which is almost like an extra year of training.
1: Interesting. So it, it, do you think most go that route in, in becoming an associate or most decide to buy their own practice and, and become a business owner and fill the dentistry?
0: No, definitely most most out of school, I'd probably say over 95% choose to become an associate. Okay. Uh, it's, it's quite rare that someone owns an office out of school. I knew basically in the first year of dental school that it was something that I wanted to do. And so I worked really hard learning the ins and outs of the business of dentistry while I was in school it's not really something they teach you in school unfortunately um, even though it is such a big part of what we do and so I think that's part of the reason why it's atypical for people to own out of school they they don't feel the confidence on the business side um, and at the same time they probably want to build a bit of their confidence clinically as well and practically actually in the profession
1: yeah yeah no that makes sense so Robert, you've built up this great net worth. And, and along the way, you've invested in a couple of rental properties. How come you decided to go
0: into rental real estate? So again, it, for me, it was just a diversifier, a risk mitigation, and cash flowing deals worked out well. So the main aspect for me was was the diversity that real estate offers. I do like the cash flow. I've always wanted and more and more I'm realizing that I do want to increase my revenue streams and diversify that way as well, especially after seeing what happened this year, so that was the main driver
1: interesting and do you plan to continue to add more and more real estate to your portfolio
0: i do yeah um I was just looking at a couple more properties today, so i'm always i'm certainly always looking i'm not uh I haven't set a hard goal for myself to have x number of of units or doors. But I, I certainly am looking and that's something that, that I discuss with my financial advisor and how we can diversify that way.
1: Yeah, totally. So as you go on this journey here, you're super young. You got a great net worth. Is there a target number you're trying to hit, whether it's passive income or net worth?
0: Yeah. So the passive income target for me is about 250 K a year, which I figure will require a net worth. Uh, and again, I'm, I'm fairly conservative, but probably somewhere in the range of 8 million to 10 million.
1: And and do you have a timeline of when you're trying to accomplish that by?
0: I'd hope to accomplish that by age 40.
1: Nice. Nice. Yeah. I think that's,
0: I mean, I think you're definitely well on your way and it's
1: probably very reasonable to get there at that point. When you do, do you plan on stepping
0: away from the field of dentistry? I, I do plan to step away from the practical and clinical side of dentistry, but actually one of the things that I built up while I wasn't working, and I mentioned it earlier, is my consulting, and I, and I hope to do more of that in the future.
1: Yes, yeah, so talk about that a little bit. Is that consulting for other dentals practices or, or dentists that are trying to get started, or those that are purchasing practices out of school, or
0: what do you do in in the consulting world? That's right. Yeah, it's consulting for dentists who are buying offices. Most of my clients right now are first time practice owners, and so it's. Consulting with them on what to expect as far as the transition to owning a new office. Um, And again, drawing on my experiences and doing that with my office. uh, Everything from how to schedule efficiently, how to build systems, how to present things to patients, how to hire the right people for your office. Really everything from the top down and building a successful dental business.
3: Yeah, interesting. So I'm curious just on that front and jumping back to your own business how do you decide how much to put back into the business? I know you don't, there's not necessarily a big day to day, but you could still spend more in advertising. You could hire additional staff. You could try and get it team up with another dentist. How do you decide how much, and, and is that part of the plan is to continue to grow
0: this? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, and I've set targets for my office of of how much I want us to be collecting, how much I want us to be cash flowing. I'm actually ahead of schedule. When I bought the office two years ago, I I figured that I'd be... Where I am now in probably still three to four more years from now. So we are ahead of our targets. But and now it's just a matter of balancing. I'm happy with working four days a week and our office has the number of patients to support that comfortably. So we are, we are basically exactly as busy as we want to be. We always take new patients, but from that aspect, um, we are where we want to be. And so now it's just a matter of building efficiency. And so when I reinvest into my business, it's not necessarily marketing, but maybe tools and technologies that allow me to be more efficient. Um, For example, one thing that we introduced this year is live online booking into our schedule. So that's saved us a lot of time of our receptionist having to call people and confirm appointments. So so little things like that, that build our Mm -hmm.
3: efficiency. Mm -hmm. Do you think about opening another office?
0: It, it's interesting that you ask because originally I thought I would, um, but this office has basically seeing the success that I've had in this office has kind of given me some pause, and I've thought to myself, if I can just grow this probably just a little bit more, I can be pretty comfortable in this one location, and my stress level um, now is is fairly comfortable. Right, For the right. first six six months of owning, I it was difficult, um, certainly, and I probably lost about ten pounds in that first six months because of sleepless nights and just not eating and and being overwhelmed with learning a lot of stuff. Even though I tried my best to learn everything I could while in school, there's always things as a business owner. And I'm sure any business owner can tell you this in any industry that just catch you off guard. And a lot of it is just learning as you go and playing things by ear.
3: Of course. Yeah, Yeah. I'm curious, do all your employees or staff or the people that work with you, do they know how you're doing financially? Are they aware of all that? Do you make it known
0: or is it more tight? So they know how the office as a whole does financially. They don't know exactly how much I'm taking home. But we do have goals that everyone in our office is aware of because it is tied to a bonus system that we have for our employees.
3: Oh, very cool. So so
0: all of my employees actually are are paid above average for the area. Um, And a large part of that is because of our bonus system.
3: And did you come up with that or something you heard from another dentist or business? That's something I implemented myself. Good for you. Good for you. It's awesome. So, looking back on this whole journey so far, I mean, you're obviously young, but are there a couple things that you can pinpoint and say, hey, that's what made me so successful financially or in your career or with the business? And and that's what made me a millionaire. Are there are a couple things: is it was it your drive? Was it your ability to take a risk early and buy this business? Is it long hours? Are there a couple things you can point to?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it probably started young. All credit to my parents who always raised me um, and were open about money and and how bills work and how expenses work and how income works. And so I think from a young age, I always had a drive, certainly to track my finances and and build. Basically, a a kind of a, an empire of my own, but definitely having the drive to, to get into ownership early. Uh, I think in dentistry specifically, that's, that's really where the great income is, is owning a dental office. And then just having, I guess, the, the patience and the perseverance to implement systems. And one thing I really, really focus myself on is uh, there's this concept in Japan that they refer to as Kaizen, And in business, it's basically continuous improvement. And so the way I look at my business is almost like a set of levers. And I can pull one and I can see the changes that it makes. And, and this part of the reason that I love owning a business is because I can see the direct effects of the changes that I implement. And so we're constantly iterating and reiterating and increasing as efficient as we possibly can. And I think you really have to be almost meticulous to, to be willing to do that. And I'm certainly surrounded by great people who who allow me and empower me to do that. My, my team is excellent. But it's it's all about the mindset and front-loading the process that way.
3: Yeah, good for you. As much as you're comfortable sharing here, what's been your range of household income or annual income through your working life so far?
0: So my first full year in ownership, because I bought the office in 2018, my first full year in ownership was 2019. I took home about 600 k I'm on pace to do about that in 2020. If it wasn't for COVID, we'd probably be close to 700K.
3: Wow. Good for you. Good for you. That's amazing. And then what about household spending? How much do you spend a year?
0: We don't really spend too much, um, probably in the range of about 60K.
3: Okay. Gotcha. And just a couple rapid fire questions here to wrap up. Have you ever used a financial advisor?
0: I have. Yeah. And part of the main reason that I do use a financial advisor is that. A lot of my investments and my equity is tied in within my corporation. And so my financial advisor is knowledgeable with the tax advantages and implications of investing that way.
3: So you're, you're happy with them and and continue to still use them.
0: I am happy. Yeah. And he shares my investment philosophy. Um, So the main thing that I value him for is his expertise with respect to tax law and, and investing. And someday when I, sell my business, I'll have a lot of equity in it. And so he'll help me basically unwind that in the most efficient way.
3: Yeah, yeah. So how old were you when you became a millionaire? It's
0: hmm, a good question. I, I didn't really track the exact day, but probably 27.
3: You might be our youngest, Robert, ever. Is that right, Chase? You may be our youngest.
0: Yeah, I think good so. For to the day that someone comes on your show and does it at 25.
3: (laughs) Well, go ahead, Jace. What were you going to say?
0: Oh, no, I I think that he's the youngest. I don't think we've had very many
1: under 30, but I don't think 20. I think 29 is the youngest. So 27 will now be the youngest for sure. Well, good for you. So just in closing here, Robert, is, I mean, young and, and
3: probably not making too many mistakes, but is there something looking back? you wish you would have done differently or maybe to an aspiring dentist, any mistakes or any, any last words of advice here? I mean, you've obviously done phenomenally well.
0: My my biggest advice to an aspiring dentist would really be, well, I guess to anyone in general is really just compound yourself. And it's, so it goes back to what I said earlier is always be looking to the next step, always be trying to, to iterate and reiterate in everything you do and and growing the seeds and, and then just reaping the rewards down the road and, and remembering to reinvest in yourself and in your knowledge. Uh, as far as mistakes I've made, I guess one earlier this year when, when COVID struck. And a lot of that was because I was panicked. I, I saw my income go down to zero. I didn't know what kind of support there would be from government or stimulus. And so back then, I actually did sell some of my equity positions and, and took a loss on those. But it was basically a panic reaction to not knowing how long I, I would be out of work. And so I wanted to have more cash on hand. Thankfully, the the treasuries that I have, have have done quite well. So that's kind of offset the losses. But that's another big one is keep in mind your time horizon and just remember your goal. I know it's, it's easy to say after the fact and looking back then, I, I was certainly a lot more panicked than I am now.
3: So you're just final question here Robert you're in the in the top 1% of the top 1% probably right for your age group do do people know of your wealth do they treat you differently
0: to be honest i probably don't really show or live up to my wealth I, i'm saving 90 85 to 90% of my income right now so a lot of it is is kind of stealth wealth in that regard but my my close family and like i said my parents always raised me to to be open about money so they're familiar with it and i wouldn't expect them to treat me any different but they haven't my close friends and colleagues some of them do know of it and and don't treat me any different but as far as people in my community my patients and my staff no one is really aware fully of the the whole picture
3: well hopefully they don't listen to this huh (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. Well, thanks so much. We appreciate it. We've taken enough of your time, so we'll let you go. But everybody, that's Robert, net worth of $1.2 million. Really fantastic uh, dentistry business you have. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing advice. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Jason Clark. Thanks.
1: Thanks for listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.